Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he begins to fill the earth and the heavens with various things. And there's a poem in Genesis chapter 1 where the story begins. And each day of the six days that God creates all sorts of things, light and darkness, um, land and sea, um, sun and stars. And then he creates vegetation and plants and birds and fish, and then animals. And every day in this progression of this poem, it gets more and more and more complex. And then in verse 26 of Genesis chapter one, God says this, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground, So God created mankind in his own image. uh, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We'll go back to verse 28. In the beginning, God creates humanity. And in this epic poem, Genesis chapter one, everything God begins to create, day one, it begins to get more and more complex. And in the poem, the climax of the poem is this verse, 26, when God creates humanity in his image and likeness. And why is this important? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern civilizations, thousands of years ago, around the time Genesis was written, the phrase image and likeness was used all over the place by other people groups other than the Jewish community. The phrase and words, image and likeness, were used to describe uh, other gods. In fact, there's a a god called, a god named Shamash, which I love this one. Uh, Here's a picture of Shamash. Can you Pull up Shamash for me. I might be out of my, there it is. A God named Shamash. Can you say Shamash? So this was an, uh, a Mesopotamian God that was worshiped by all sorts of people groups, the Assyrians, the Akkadians. And, um, and this was the God of the sun. And Shamash had his image and likeness spread around Mesopotamia thousands and thousands of years ago. And um, the, the, the idea of image and likeness, there were coins, statues, And um, people even considered kings and monarchs as the image and likeness of Shamash and other deities. So Genesis borrows this phrase, image and likeness, from ancient texts in other places and says, the creator of the universe, the God who creates all things, his epic moment of displaying himself, his image and likeness, is found not in kings and monarchs, not in gold, statues, wooden coins and such, found in every human being. Humanity is given this divine identity as image bearers, as representatives 
of the most high God, the creator God in the universe. This was so revolutionary thousands of years ago because this proclamation of Genesis chapter one is that humanity is not an accident. It's not a byproduct of war between the gods. It is a chosen, loving display that God who created all things chose to create humanity on purpose. And what does it look like for God to, to, um, to have in his image around the world? It is through the people that he created. His image and likeness is found and you and I. So this has all sorts of implications for our worth as people. We are, all humanity is made in God's image and likeness. We, in other words, are called to represent him on earth. When you would see a coin of Shamash or a king, they were the representatives of the God they worshiped or, or, or followed. So that's what is going on in Genesis 1. Now, verse 28, there's something else I want to share before we jump into Jesus's message. Are you with me? Verse 28 says this, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue, think about that for a second. And rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So God creates humanity in his image, male and female. And then God blesses them. He says, fill the earth, increase in number, subdue and rule. The word rule is the Hebrew word radah. Say radah. God, I'm just teaching you some fun words. They're just fun. Like shamash, you can't beat that word. That's a great word. Radah. And then the word subdue is kabosh. Kabosh. Like next, okay, so at Thanksgiving, you have some great words to throw around that mean rule and subdue. But here's what's going on with this. This is so fascinating. So in the beginning where the story begins, humanity carries the image of God and likeness of God. They are the pinnacle of all creation. And then God blesses them to rule and subdue or to take responsibility over creation, to have authority and power to care and steward all of creation as the representatives of God. In the beginning, what scholars are saying is God is looking to partner with humanity in the stewarding and caring of all creation. This is what it means to be human. Is that the creator God is looking for partners to take care and extend his life on earth as it is in heaven. Are you with me? Genesis chapter one, the word rule and subdue, these words together, responsibility, stewardship, um, you see that God from the beginning has a task for us to steward and care, to have power and authority. Dominion is another word that it translates into, over creation. So to be human is to create environments for the rest of creation to flourish. This is where the story begins. This is where the Christian story begins. Humanity in perfect loving relationship, bearing the image of God, living in perfect identity, loving relationship with God, ourselves, each other, and all creation, having power and dominion to rule, to care for all creation on behalf of God. This is where the story begins. And if we tell the message of Jesus without this story and without context, we actually miss what Jesus is saying, and what he's actually doing. You with me? 
So the story begins here, but then the story continues. And for those of you that are new to the church, what happens is in Genesis 3, humanity, we were given the option to worship God and love God um, and follow his ways or not. And we chose the or not. And sin entered into the world and the, the vandalism of shalom took place. Everything went out of place. Our relationship with God was distorted. Relationship with creation was distorted. Sin enters into the story. But God doesn't leave us there. God begins the movement forward to restore what was lost in Genesis, to restore humanity and all creation back to himself. And so we see in the Old Testament, I talked through this a few weeks ago, God chooses Abraham and then Israel to represent him on earth, to live in a way that reveals himself to the rest of creation and all the nations. They have to obey his commandments. They don't obey his commandments. They're given a city. They're given temples. Uh, they're given the temple in Jerusalem, excuse me. And they, they don't obey God's way. God sends them into exile again after liberating them thousands or hundreds and thousands of years before, thousands of years before, excuse me. And, um, and then uh, God, uh, in exile, the prophets begin to speak about God renewing and redeeming redeeming them once and for all, liberating them. This is most of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament ends with these prophecies about God coming back once and for all and acting in human history, restoring everything that was lost and bringing humanity back to its original place. And the Old Testament ends and there's a longing waiting for God to do that. It didn't happen quite yet. That's the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and he says in verse one, chapter uh, one, verse 15 in Mark, he comes onto the scene and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this verse, this message of Jesus. The primary message of Jesus is that uh, the long-awaited moment in human history for God to decisively act in history and to restore all things back to its place and people back to where they were has been fulfilled in the presence of Jesus. He says the time has come. Everything you've been waiting for is here and available. God's kingdom, God's way of life, what life would look like if God was in charge has been made available here and now. You can reach out and touch it. A life marked by healing and justice and peace and shalom and forgiveness and resurrection. That has been made available for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It's available for everyone. It's breaking in through Jesus and it's here and it's coming and it will be a fully established once Jesus comes back. So Jesus inaugurates this new movement. He proclaims this kingdom. He embodies it. He demonstrates it. He releases it. He teaches through it and it's through his life, his death and his resurrection that Jesus offers the world another way to live. Jesus offers the world a counter way to live. So those were, that was the kind of a summary of the last several weeks that I've been talking. And then this is the third part. Jesus comes along and he says, the life that God intended you to live is here and available for all of you. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I feel like this of of all the sermons I could preach, this is a classic example of how we might misinterpret the message of Jesus Christ. Because if I begin to say, hey, uh, Zach, why don't you start repenting right now um, publicly to all of us? You might start by confessing your private sins to us, right? This is the message we've been taught. 
To, to, to repent and believe is to confess our sins and believe an intellectual understanding that there is a God and somehow reorient our life, right, in, around these new, this new way of existence in, in many ways. So repentance is, is about confessing our private sins. I, I, I lusted, I lied, I cheated on my math test. And so most of the Christian life, and I'm just gonna speak for my, myself, most of my Christian life growing up was about sin management, that the message he had was, yes, all that's available and it's available then and there. And my job now and here is to continue on repenting and getting rid of all the sin so that I can get his message right and live the Christian message out. Does anyone else struggle with that? So in college, we get into guys groups and what is the group all about? Talking about the last time we looked at pornography or lusted. We get in groups and we want to be disciples of Jesus, but that just turns into maybe a little bit of reading of the scripture, a little bit of prayer, and then just confessing our sins. Now, this is, is partially true. I mean, this is part of Jesus' message. That it is about sin, and, and sin is such a big deal that God sends his son to die on the cross for our sins. So it clearly costs God something. It's clearly a big deal. But so many of us, we've misinterpreted the message that he has. We've taken it out of context and we don't see exactly what Jesus was trying to do or even how the first century context would have heard the phrase, repent and believe the good news. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that you're, you have sinned and confessing, there's nothing wrong with being a part of those groups. But somehow I think we've reduced the message to, of Christianity into this confession of sins. Am I, am I off base, by the way? Can I get a couple of amens? Yeah, like, yeah, I've, because re- it's really quiet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm way off. <laughs> there's more to the Christian life than confessing your sins. So, I believe Jesus wants to transform your life. Jesus wants to empower you to live a free and liberated life without sin. But the message of Christ is more than just have a religious experience and confess your private sins. That that is the reaction to the news that he's proclaiming. So let us talk about what Jesus actually meant when he said, repent and believe. How would the first century Jew hear this 2,000 years ago? So the word repent is metanoia, and it is a, a common phrase for changing one's mind or changing one's direction. So if you think about a life of sin, yes, it can be applied that in view of who God is, turn, change directions, Turn around, don't do that behavior, do a new behavior. Don't think this way, think that way. In Hebrew, it's teshuva, and the Hebrew word is to return or to come home. If you apply that in Genesis, that's a beautiful way of looking at it, right? Go back to the way it was intended to be. Um, And so yes, that's the phrase, repent. But what would the first century Jew have heard when he says repent and believe? They wouldn't have heard Confess your private sins. That was not in their context because they had covenant with God, which is a whole other discussion. But to answer this question, it's important to lay this message next to context in history. So in order to do that, what were, uh, were there other places in history, other people that wrote and talked using the same phrase, repent and believe? And the answer to that is yes, actually. 
About 30 years after Jesus was crucified, 66 AD, there was a man named Josephus. He's a famous Jewish historian. Check him out. Here's a picture for you. Um, this is the Josephus, and Josephus was a Jewish historian who was um, part of, the, he was a Jerusalem aristocrat, he was uh, wealthy, and he was educated, and he became a, co- a collaborator with Rome during a very, tr- um, uh, a season in Roman's hist- Roman history uh, where there's lots of conflict, especially in Israel, uh, modern day Palestine, where they were facing all sorts of fights and revolts because they believed that the Messiah was going to come. So that was the Jewish mentality. So Josephus wrote in his autobiography uh, about his task where he was commissioned to write kind of um, the, the history of the Roman Empire, what was happening in the Middle East. And he writes this, and this is a quote from N.T. Wright's The Challenge of Jesus. It's in regards to Josephus. Listen to this. His task as he describes it in his autobiography, was to persuade the hot-headed Galileans to stop their mad rush into revolt against Rome and to trust him the other Jeru- and the other Jerusalem aristocrats to work out a better modus vivendi. So when he confronted the rebel leader, he says that he told him to give up his own agenda and to trust him, Josephus, instead. And the word he uses are remarkably familiar to the readers of the Gospels. He told the brigade leader to repent and believe in him. And it's the same Greek phrase we find in Luke, Matthew, and Mark. Josephus was not telling these Jewish rebels to give up their sinning and have a religious conversion. It was way more political and specific than that. Josephus was telling these radicals and rebels to give up their nationalistic vision of war and trust him in a new way of existence. In the first century context, repent and believe didn't just mean quit sinning and believe some intellectual thing about God. It had to do with aligning yourself with an agenda or a movement or a revolution and becoming a participant in that revolution. Jesus, in other words, was telling his hearers to give up their agendas and trust him for the way of bringing the kingdom of God about. Jesus, when he says, repent and believe the good news, is saying to everyone, change your minds in how you think this world really works and align yourself. Come under this vision, this new way of existence. Don't just believe about it, but become a full participant in this new reality. God's way of life is breaking out. His way of justice and peace and wholeness and healing and resurrection and new hearts. It's here and available. Don't just look at it. Don't just become a spectator. Don't just believe in it intellectually. Become a participant, a practitioner. Become a a revolutionary in this new way of existence. He's gonna say in the Sermon on the Mount, he's gonna give everyone a new way to exist. In this world, you know, it's eye for an eye. He's like, no, 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 turn the other cheek. This way, it's about, you know, having affairs. No, no, no. It's about looking at a person with lust. He gives you a whole new way to exist. Are you with me? 
The, the message of Jesus is so revolutionary. And, and most of us have received a message that's just about dealing with our sin, but Jesus wants to deal with the world through you. He tells everyone to change their minds and give up the way they think the world works and recognize that God's bringing a whole new way of life and that life is here and now. It's an announcement of good news it's, and it's an invitation to be a revolutionary, to align yourself with this vision and become a participant, not a spectator in what God is doing, but to help write the story that is being written here and now in this present reality through your everyday, ordinary life. In other words, give up your old way of doing life and become a full participant in this new way of life. I was trying to think of a clever way to illustrate that, and I couldn't really. And I didn't run this by anyone, but I was, it's totally silly. So I'm just going to give it to you and see how it lands, and then I won't do it at the next service, and we'll just cut this out of the video. But I was thinking about how do I, in a funny way, show you this or like what images come to mind about spectating the Christian life versus de- uh, participating in the Christian life. And this is the, the most ridiculous illustration, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I couldn't help but think about Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> because, uh, and, and, and I'm realizing this is gonna be a train wreck as I describe it, but if you've ever seen, how many of you know Dance Dance Revolution? Like, have you, okay, so you Many of us have spectated, haven't we? All that dance dance has to explore and give away to this good and beautiful world. And then if you've ever been brave, maybe in in your own home, you would try, of course, the dance dance revolution. And it looks, you know, kind of like this. Right? Am I right? So you move from watching it to maybe participating to some degree. But have you ever been to an arcade with those people? And I mean those people. They too are welcomed into the kingdom, but they are a very unique type. And, and I'm going to demonstrate to my best ability what I witnessed just to make this go all the way because I'm already pot committed. And it's something like... Right? Am I right? (laughs) So, dance, dance, revolution. Just like repent and believe. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. In other words, Jesus Jesus wants you to be resourced. Listen to this. Jesus wants us to become the kinds of people resourced with the power of heaven in our everyday ordinary life. He invites you to become the people that bring justice and peace and joy and forgiveness and resurrection and healing and new life in your home, in your workplace, at your school, when you walk about, when you live your life, Jesus wants you to become that kind of person that brings it. And the invitation isn't, hey, get your act together and come to church and do the ministry, the invitation is actually, he's going to get your act together along the journey. And ministry isn't what happens here. Ministry is what happens when you leave here. Because you're all missionaries, you're all saints, you're all 
uh, kingdom participants. If you say yes to Jesus, you are invited to go to the nations. Check out what, he, what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, verse 28. Chapter 28, verse 18. He says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen to this. All authority in heaven and on earth. Let's pause for a second. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 when we sinned and broke the perfect relationship we had with God and the rest of the world? What did we do with our rule and subdue, with our authority and power to steward all creation? Who do we give that to? We give it to Satan. What, was fundam- what fundamentally belonged to humanity was handed over to the kingdom of darkness. In Matthew's gospel, this is literally pulling us back to Genesis when God blesses humanity again. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in view that Jesus has all the authority in heaven and earth, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Does this sound, it sounds in Greek, it will sound connected to Genesis 1 where God blesses humanity to subdue and rule, to create environments for the rest of humanity to flourish. And Jesus is saying here, it looks like he's wanting to partner with humanity, partner with people of God to do what? To steward creation, to expand God's way of life to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. Jesus takes what's rightfully his as the perfect Adam and restores it. And then he empowers it back to us and gives us back dominion, authority, and power as followers of Jesus. The message is not enough to believe. The message has to be demonstrated, proclaimed, and embodied in our everyday life. Jesus gives us the power to create environments for the rest of creation to flourish. The story in context is revolutionary. And you can't miss it that from the beginning, God was looking at humanity to partner with him and as his image bearers, made in his likeness, and he commissions, commissions them to steward creation. He gave them authority to rule on behalf of him. We gave that away, and Jesus comes back along, and he, through his life, through his message, through his death and resurrection, reclaims what was rightfully ours, and he says, I'm giving it back. Go, therefore, into the world and do what you were designed to do in the first place. Repent and believe the good news. A few weeks ago, I talked about the kingdom of God being a reality to be experienced. Remember? Some of you weren't there. But I talked about it like this. It, and for those of you that weren't there, it's okay, you missed out. But I said a reality to be experienced is like, when we talk about it, it's like trying to describe a song to people that they haven't heard. So there's this beautiful song and it's quiet. And it starts off slow and then it builds and it becomes what some said a few weeks ago. It's, it gets to this point where it's like you're floating in the clouds and then there's this holy rain. Can you hear the song? You, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Yeah. Some of you are, exactly my point. Do you want me to talk about the song or do you want to hear it for yourselves? So I thought today, why don't we actually listen and watch this song together and experience what we talked about a few weeks ago and we'll come back and land this sermon. This is a, I normally don't do this, but this is a long 
video, and I, I really want to uh, share this with you, because the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. All that God has for you has to be experienced for yourself, so that not only can you give it away, but you can tell people where they can hear the song for themselves. Let's listen. God is a reality to be experienced. The message of Christ is that God's way of life has been made, made available for everyone here and now. Repent and believe. Join the movement. Align yourself with this reality and become not just a spectator in the story unfolding, become a participant in this new reality. At some point in your life, you've heard the truth proclaimed you will have to decide for yourself, are you going to join the revolution and jump off to do the impossible and believe what God believes about you and be truly human or will you just watch the story unfold? How many of you guys hear now a song floating in the clouds, holy rain, do you feel it? Did you experience it? Can you see? This is why when we have experiences with God, when we try to tell the world what he's like, it's best for us to embody the message and say, no, come and hear for yourselves. What would it look like for you to become a participant in the story unfolding? What would it look like for you to embody the message of Jesus in such a way that you actually stepped out as a participant? When you hear this message, it has radical implications. And this is what I want to really just land on. And it's three words that will help you understand what it looks like for you to bring the kingdom of God in this message in life everywhere you go. It means everyone, every day, everywhere. Everyone, every day, everywhere. The, the Garden Church, as a church, we have organized ourselves around the living, resurrected Christ. We try our best to embody this message and to, to organize the community around this view of the scriptures and Jesus and life. And it means that we're not here to entertain. We're not here to put on an event. We're here to equip the church, to be the church. Everyone, every day, everywhere. You are called as missionaries as practitioners of the kingdom to bring God's way of life to everyone every day everywhere you go he wants to resource you with power from heaven to impact everyone every day everywhere you go so when you leave here and go to lunch what does it look like for you to live life as if God was in charge 
That's the implication of this message. Do you see why it's so much easier to believe the Christian message that all you have to do is worry about your sin? The enemy has used that as a tool to keep you from doing what Jesus wants you to do. If I could just get you to focus on your sin, you will be distracted by the world God has in front of you. That he wants to answer the prayer, kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven through you being there. This is the, this is the power of this message. This is the gospel. That Jesus ushers in a new existence and he invites you to play a role. So what does this mean? Who gets to do this? Everyone. Everyone gets to play. It doesn't matter if you walked into this church and you've never said yes to Jesus in your life publicly. Today, if you say yes, you get to participate. You're joining a movement, not something that's gonna help you be a better person. This is what Jesus is after for people to become the, the kinds of people resourced with the, the heaven in their ordinary life. So I wanna give you some practical stuff on where do you begin to live. First of all, you need to remember everyone, every day, everywhere. God, what does it look like for you to be in charge of my life? With everyone I meet, every day I live, and everywhere I go, may you begin by having awareness of God's activity in the world. So where, how do we begin to shape this idea, everyone, every day, everywhere? First, it goes with prayer. Imagine if we walked our neighborhoods asking the question, what are you up to, God? What are you doing right now? How can I participate in the good and beautiful things you want to do in this neighborhood? On my walk, walk to the coffee shop, as I walk my child, as I go to work, as I park my car and walk into my business. How my eye move from myself being the focal point of all of God's activity to awareness of God's activity all around us that he wants to use me as a practitioner of his kingdom to usher in shalom in places that desperately need restoration of life. If you're a student, how might you in this turbulent time of, of government, of nations, how might you become aware of the other people around you that you can usher in this new way of existence? It starts by becoming aware of God's presence and becoming active in prayer. I, I believe prayer is, is the ingredient for all of this, by the way. Um, I believe that God heals people. I mean, we didn't do stories today. Last week, I wasn't here. It was the best week, of course, of all time, yada, yada, yada. And someone got out of their wheelchair at the second service and got healed of some type of arthritis in their knee. I'll bring it next week or I'll bring that person. And there's a picture of their empty wheelchair as they walk their wheelchair back from, to their car. Some of you have been healed of anxiety. There are stories of God breaking in. Um, I just went up to a church on Thursday and I, t I got to lead a, a leadership community for about 50 people. And I got to share the story of our church and how we went from really cautiously conservative evangelicals to openly charismatics. And most of you didn't even know that. And, um, <laughs> and just the hard work. I mean, it was like nobody would come forward when we call people. We, we didn't even believe. Uh, nobody was getting healed for years. Up until, I was saying, up until this summer, there was a shift in our church. People started getting healed regularly. It's I'm like, holy cow, it's crazy. People are, are actually experiencing healing, which we've been praying for six years for. It's about time. 
And I shared this and then people were, I, I shared all my stories of failure. That's all I did. All the failure stories of having words and it not being right, praying for people and them getting sick and I catching the disease or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and they're like, how do you pray? And I'm like, why don't I show you how to pray? So I bring someone up that has a headache. The headache goes from a 10 to a four. And then there, I have a word of knowledge about regular migraines associated with something else. She starts crying. The whole group starts getting really t- tense and we're like, oh, my, this is happening. She starts experiencing God's healing in front of everyone. And then what the, the pastor that I was serving under came and did, he's like, Who, who's feeling pain or ha- needs prayer? T- 15 people raised their hand. All 15 people were healed. Wow. I was the only one doubting. I was like, I can't believe this. This is too good. (laughs) This is what God wants. He wants us to walk in the power and authority he gave us. Whose power and authority is it? It's Jesus. It's all his. Everywhere you go, God, what are you doing? Pray, step, move in prayer, and bless the heck out of people. Especially this season, guys, bless. Say affirmations. Affirmations are the the language of the kingdom. Affirm, say thank you, bring joy, tip well, uh, take on. (laughs) I've heard some stories about that. You're doing great. Keep giving generous tips. Bless, how can I be a blessing today? How can I bless this person? What can I do to get in the way of God's grace and help them experience it? This is what we're called to be everywhere we go, every day we live, everyone we meet. So you can pray, you can bless, you can invite people to experience it for themselves. Are you, inv- are you inviting people into this reality? I tell people, come to my church, stay here for about four weeks, and if you don't experience God's presence in your life, then leave. <laughs> Tyra. I, and I don't mean just come on, I mean join a community group. I guarantee if you experience the presence of God in your life. So there's so many implications. So I can't even get into all of them. What does it mean to, for God to be in charge of your resources, your schedule, your life, your family? How, what would life look like if God was in charge? Everyone, every day, everywhere. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.